They always say you learn a little bit more about somebody when you live with them or stay with them. Or what if you travel abroad with them? That's exactly what I got to do for a week. I got to travel to Guatemala with Compassion International, with Nate Solder, his lovely wife Lexi, a number of other former players, and spend some real time getting to know Nate. Long bus rides, long conversations. And what was fascinating about Nate, and I felt it then, and you're going to feel it in this podcast with him, is he's got this pendulum that swings between what he says, self-described cynic and just deep curiosity and question everything. And then that pendulum will swing to this amazing childlike faith where he will just simply say, yes, I'll jump in, I'll follow. You're going to love many of the stories that he will share on his faith journey. And if you're one of those just self-described cynics that questions everything, Uh, you'll dig into this conversation even more. And oh, by the way, you'll learn about the heart of compassion all the way through it as well. Your home that you grew up in was not a a Christian faith-based home, was it? No, that's correct. Um, You know, we did go to church on Easter and sometimes on Christmas if we felt like it, but it was not based in faith. That was more ritual-based. Um, so my dad came from a faith-based home. My mom did too, but uh, for whatever reason, they, they'd gone away from that, and we were not raised in that. So um, it wasn't until college, and uh, I was uh, raised in a little conservative town, Buena Vista, Colorado, a lot of Christians, and I was the crazy liberal. Um, and then I got to Boulder, and I realized, wow, I am not a crazy liberal. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not that liberal anyhow. And uh, it really changed my whole worldview. And I, I was I was dating this girl who was uh, Catholic, and she was going to mass every day, and we had a lot of tough conversations. And then one day, one of my strength coaches invited me to church, and what he said was, "Hey, I just want you to know that Jesus doesn't hate you." And I thought that was such a different spin on you know Jesus loves you um, cliche. He says Jesus doesn't hate you. I said, "Well, I never thought he hated you." And my buddy James Hardy, I said. You know, I don't know what you're saying, but I like you, so I'd love to come to church with you. And uh, pretty quick, I was living with him that summer. It was during the lockout, and I just had a lot of questions. I'll say I still am at times, but very self-righteous, knew everything about it, and I would argue and fight and um, very determined that I knew the answer I was going to teach people. And uh, he gave me a book, Tim Keller's um, Reason for God, and I realized that my questions we're not unique and I do not know everything and that there are great answers to some of these tough questions that I thought were impossible to answer. And so through these number of things, um, I just started to break down some of those walls. I know my heart was just very hard towards it. I know I'd had a lot of bad experiences with Christians growing up. Um, you know, I viewed them all as hypocrites and I, you know, you'd see them in on Sundays praying and then during a week they'd be doing a bunch of craziness. So I wasn't really into that. Um, so, all these people put in my life. And then once I got to the pros, I felt really lost. And uh, I thought maybe win, uh, making all this money, win a lot of games, having a lot of free time in the off season was just going to fulfill me because that's what I always was told that, uh, you know, if I travel and I do these amazing things, see these amazing places, um, have this certain status, that somehow my life will just be complete and I'll be happy. And I found the exact opposite. I was traveling every single weekend. At one point, I lost where my car was because I'd traveled so much, and I was not fulfilled by it. I was actually very depressed by the whole thing, and I was very isolated and lonely. And um, so God put another man 
in my life by the name of Jack Easterby, who's now the chaplain of the Texans, and uh, he began to sit down with me and just go through the Bible with me. You know, I'd turn it into something political. You know, I said, well, I'm not really a Republican. And he says, well, I only voted for one guy, and he was assassinated after three years uh, being Jesus Christ. And so that really turned me on. And uh, um, he just, for, we were together for five years, and he, he would just come in and we would talk about things. We'd have tough questions. And pretty soon I found myself on the other side of the fence, and I was defending the faith. <laughs> and I was with this um, group that I thought was so strange, and now I was like one of the, the voices for that group. Um, so it was funny how God worked that way, and uh, he continues to work in my life in unbelievable ways. You know, Nate, uh, getting to spend some time with you, you are a question asker. right? It's it, it, it just kind of the center of... Spending a week with you in Guatemala, <laughs> yeah. I could tell that it's just a gifting of yours. You just love to to dig. Take me back to Boulder, or, or excuse me, even before then, growing up in Buena Vista, yeah. uh, the crazy liberal in high school. What did that look like? <laughs> well, you know, um, it was like this whole spirituality, and I think at some points I thought, you know, maybe I figured it out. I got all the answers. That must mean that I'm God, you know, and, and it's crazy how uh, the Spirit works that way where you have so much uh, – and maybe a lot of you know seniors in high school feel that way. Um, I certainly did. That I thought I had all the answers, mm-hmm. and I thought you know I think Christians are just wrong. They're just crazy. They don't know what they're talking about. They're too simple and and um, not very intelligent. Um, and that was certainly my, my impression. And yeah, I'm kind of a curious person. Uh, I have an innate sense of curiosity. I want to know everything about everything. And sometimes it comes off a little critical. I'm aware of that, and so. You have to find people like I did that are willing to talk about those things mm-hmm. because sometimes people that are raised in Christian homes have never had to face those things because they've never come up. And for me, that was uh, a couple hurdles that I had to get over in my own intellectual life. You know, it says love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and spirit and strength. And I needed to know that I could use my entire mind and my intellect and mm-hmm. still be... Um, a Christian. And so. then you get to campus, and as you said, right. um, Boulder, Colorado <laughs> is right. not a bastion right. for uh, no. conservatism. It is no. quite quite the other. No. So tell me about that experience. Yeah, and I remember one class I was in, it's like, uh, it was a philosophy class, and he was talking about how God can't be real um, because he's uh, if he's all good, then bad things wouldn't happen, so he must not be all powerful mm. because then he can't control all bad things. And I was sitting there as a non-Christian. I thought, you know, logically that just doesn't fly to me. And I don't know why I ended up in that class arguing for God when I didn't believe in God. And I think all my classmates just jumped on me like, wow, you're crazy that you would believe in God. And I was like, well, I'll play that role right now and because I don't agree with this. And I, I read uh, Richard Dawkins and uh, a few of these other authors, and I was like, it just seems so cynical to me. And it doesn't have a lot of hope in it. And it's all based on intellect. Uh, there's something just um, not whole and complete about it, mm. you know. And uh, <laughs> I guess that was uh, was a humbling process for me too, because uh, in college I ran into a lot of very intelligent people that were Christians that had faced these things, and I saw the other side. It was the non-Christians that were that were living their lives recklessly. Um, I had one professor, another uh, ethics professor who was extremely extremely depressed. He was on antidepressants. He'd come to class crying. 
he was he was very smart but very lost and i realized that it doesn't have to do with intelligence uh completely at all mm-hmm. you know there's something about the soul the spirit that that um that is an element in all of this. And where did sports fit into any in all of this, right? This is uh, the yeah. intersection of faith and sports. So where yeah. where did this gift of this six foot eight hulking yeah. man, this tight end <laughs> at one point, right? Went to Colorado as a tight end, transitioned yeah. into yeah. an offensive tackle. Where does sports then fit in all of this realm? Yeah. Well, one thing that really always uh, still bugs me um, is the – the perception of ingenuineness that comes with uh, Christian athletes. Um, you know, you hear a lot of interviews where, where guys will just kind of rattle off, well, I, I want to thank God for all for this win. And, and uh, I don't know if God cares or doesn't care about that win, but I know there's something much deeper and more important than, than sports and football. Um, however, some of the greatest lessons have come through sports for me. And there's been the discipline, the building relationships, working together, um, fighting through hard times, um, has, has been wonderful lessons that God has shown me through sports, but I've always loved the perspective that this is just kind of a way that he's showing me. It's not the, the be all end all that, that sports are not the, are not the pinnacle of life. You know, um, a relationship with Jesus is. And then on campus there, Colorado, take me further into that relationship with the strength coach or, or that first yeah. relationship that took all of this thinking, all of this curiosity, all these yeah. questions, even though not a, not a Christian, yeah. uh, arguing for God in a philosophy class. Who was yeah. the conduit? Who, who started to foster uh, more of that relationship? Um, well, there's a church in, um, just outside of Boulder called Flatirons Church. And the first time I'd gone there, I'd felt very welcomed and very warm to the fact that, hey, we can just enjoy. They had great worship. They had a great worship band. Um, The pastor was very open to non-Christians. It was kind of a very seeker-friendly environment. And I thought, wow, there's some depth here. Um, I'd gotten to a place in my own, you know, self-seeking for performance. You know, I'd listened to different uh, speakers and all these types of things to kind of get motivation and, and how to, how to lead a group. And, and if you take Jesus out of that, it's very superficial and it's not very genuine and real because you're, all you're doing is manipulating people to, to have your ends met. Um, that's to win games, to help me self promote, to help my team. But when you put Jesus in the mix, really it doesn't matter what the outcomes of the games are. Uh, you certainly do your best, but the outcome of the game's already won because Jesus died on that cross and the victory's already sealed, you know, and, and I really believe that. And, and it carries me through a lot of different situations where you're you're not performing up to your standards. Your coaches are, are misunderstanding what you're saying. And it's like, well, you know what? This is all just a trial mm. of, of, of how you're going to better know Jesus. And, and, and I'm so thankful for that. So did you start to feel and have some of that peace in college? Did you make a commitment to Christ in college, or was it after you were done and drafted to the Patriots in the first round? Well, I was after. Yeah, I was after. I was. Um, I don't think. I don't think God had gotten me ready yet. I was. I was um, really highly touted. I was an All-American. I was, I was very centered on myself. I was very centered on my own um, success and glorifying myself through all these football-related things, and so. Um, being at the Patriots humbled me big time because I was just kind of thrown into a, a group that really didn't care about who Nate Solder was. It was team based. Um, Can you give me that first uh, yeah. that that first moment where maybe yeah. that lesson was was most clearly taught? Yeah, 
the, the, the first day I walked in the building, and I won't use all the expletives that were used for me, but uh, they said, uh, I want you to know that we don't care who you are, where you're drafted from, um, how special you think you are. It doesn't matter. It's, it's a matter of what, what's best for this team. And so that meant I was now um, last in line. I was not. I was. I was not used as the example of someone doing the the best on the team because, quite frankly, I wasn't. You know, I still had a lot to learn. I was. I was getting beat constantly, and the coaches said, "I don't know if you can make it in this league." And I said, "Here I am, a first rounder, seventeenth uh, overall pick. You know, I'm six nine. All these things." And and uh, they just told me, "Yeah, that doesn't matter. You need to perform, and you need to perform at the highest level." Um, and that did a lot of good for me, I'll tell you. Yeah, did it ground you? It it it, it based my, it based my self worth in performance, um, and uh, it was always kind of given to me and handed to me very easily. And now it was not, so I felt scrambling, and now I was scrambling to find uh, my self worth. Um, and so, uh, much to their chagrin, I probably didn't find it in winning games. I found it in Jesus, you know, through relationships that I made at the Patriots. Tell me about a few of those. Yeah. Well, um, one of the one of the greatest stories that kind of captures it was um, we were getting ready for the Super Bowl, the one uh, where we played Philadelphia, and we had a Bible study the night before, like every every NFL team does. But this particular one was a little different because we're all in a circle, and each one of us just kind of tells about how our how our journey's been that season. And there was not a dry eye in the group, and I mean, we were sobbing, crying because uh, we all had told each other how much each one of us has meant to each other in terms of uh, our, our being fathers and, and, and good sons and, and, and uh, husbands. And uh, it, it just captured how much more important those relationships were, how much more we learned about Jesus was so much more important than that game the next day. Um, it was a really profound moment, and it really captured to me how it's more about the people you're around and the circumstances that God puts you in than it is actually the outcomes of how those all work out. So when did you take that significant step in your walk? Was it there in New England in those years? Yeah, it was, at, uh, it was in New England. I was at PAO, and I'd been learning and, and growing, and, and um, I'd been a part of a couple uh, different Bible studies with guys that had really changed my whole perspective. We did Purpose Driven Life, Rick Warren's Purpose Driven Life, with five guys that we're all still so close right now. We can uh, some guys work for different teams, some guys are in different jobs, and we all just it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter where people are. And uh, so I got to PAO that year, and they had an opportunity at the end to be baptized. And um, I'd been to PAO maybe three times, three times before this. This was my third time and I thought you know before I kind of was like well maybe I should maybe I shouldn't but this time I was like I just got to do it like I just feel so empowered and compelled and excited about it that I jumped in the water I did it and uh, it was a, it was a it was an uh the capturing of how much change had gone in my life for mm. sure it was an outward expression of that what year was that Nate it must have been 2014 uh right before uh, Lexi and I got married right before you got married yeah yeah, and how did that role and that relationship play in all of this journey in your walk as well? Yeah, um, well, she grew up um, in a Christian home. That's a, that's a long story. You'd have to ask her exactly all the details of how she was raised. But yeah. but there came a point in our relationship we were we were still uh, having sex before marriage, and we were uh, you know she'd spent a lot of time over at my house, almost kind of living together, and we were in a parking lot. Uh, one night sitting there and I was I was tearing up and she says why are you crying I said you know 
I really feel so strongly about my relationship with Christ that it's either like we're going to pursue it together and we're going to all dive in and, and do this thing or like we're not going to be together anymore. And that was not what I wanted to say, but it was really like how I felt. Mm. And I said, do you want to do it? Like, please tell me you want to do it with me. And she says, absolutely. Let's do it together. Wow. So, yeah, it was awesome. We we ended up, uh, you were, we were like abstinent for six months. We got married. Like, wow. Yeah, that, that same year. Um and that same year, it was it was all kind of, it's, it's, this is an interesting story, but but it was all kind of interesting because I got testicular cancer. Uh, so we got married in May. I got testicular cancer in April. So right before we were married, I was uh, I was having surgery and all that sort of thing, going through testicular cancer. Um, wow! And what an interesting time it was. Yeah, it was wow. interesting. Yeah, I know it was interesting. Um, it rattled it rattled how I felt totally about life and death. Um, and how you know, did that even get, was that through yeah. a team physical that got, yeah, discovered? we were doing a, yeah, we were doing a team physical and I told the doctor, you know, I felt something, um, and he kind of chuckled. He said, oh, okay, we could check out you. <laughs> you know, I was like, right. all right, it's an uncomfortable situation, but he felt it. He's like, yeah, we're gonna have an ultrasound today. So I, I went up and had an ultrasound right away. And, uh, I always tell the story, but it's kind of funny cause the ultrasound tech walks in and he's wearing like um, work boots and like blue slacks and, and, uh, he's got a, like a keychain ring on his, his pocket, like a, looking like a janitor. <laughs> and he goes, he goes, yeah, you got cancer. And that's how quite frankly he said it. He goes, yeah, wow. you have cancer. I was like, wow. I was like, can you get the janitor out of here and bring a doctor in please? Right. Um, so I just, I, I sat there and, and in my training trainer's room for like two hours, like, okay, what's the next step? What do we do? I mean, I really don't know. And, uh, come to find out uh testicular cancer uh impacts a lot of young healthy people that's the most common time to uh to be uh affected by this 15 to 30 years old and i had no idea and here i am taking all these supplements uh taking great care of my body and worried about my strength and my performance and and actually god's like no you need to you need to address the fact that you're still immortal and that you can be you know i could take your life at any moment as you look back at some of these moments and i do want to spin ahead to you know really what the lord has on your heart now uh, an amazing week that we had together you know yeah. what um you know what you think the lord has in store for you here down the road but as you kind of look back at all of these stories that you hit me with here yeah. is there any kind of singular thought that comes to mind is there any lesson that you know um <laughs> that you that you think you know that that god has kind of taught you through so many of these journeys well, there's a C.S. Lewis quote that I love, and he says, uh, we all create these house of cards of what we believe God is, and God's number one objective is to just knock that house of cards down. And I think each one of these circumstances, I kind of felt like, okay, you know what? I kind of got it. I kind of have it figured out. And then here comes uh, God and knocks that house of cards down, and I say, you know what? God is bigger. No bigger, Nate. Bigger than that. And we always kind of put him in a. I always kind of put him in a box, and I say, "Well, he's he's kind of like this." And then God will come through and do something, and I say, "You know what? Actually, he's bigger. It's bigger than you can fathom or ever imagine. He's bigger." And as you walked through that diagnosis, then what? Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, I was really fortunate. I don't. I don't um, have any. You know. Okay, so. I had to have surgery, had to have a testicle removed, but I didn't have to have any chemo, didn't have to have any radiation. So basically two weeks, I missed a couple of OTAs. I'm back playing that, that season, wow. um, that quickly. Yeah. And, and, uh, Lexi was quickly pregnant. Um, yeah, you know, we had to make sure everything works still. <laughs> we just got married and everything. Yeah. So she got pregnant pretty quickly. And, uh, so we had our, our, our first child coming, um, and he was born in July. Wow. 
Yeah. And and to this day, do you have to go get tested every year? Is there? A- I'm like I'm like a couple years out, uh, mm-hmm. whatever it is. So now it's I, I was doing it like every you know they they start off like every three months, then every six months, and then yeah. every year. And and now I'm like it's like every five years now. So I and, still get tested. And then how quickly after that season you also have suffered a few setbacks from an injury standpoint too, correct? Yeah. Um. So yeah, 2014 I had testicular cancer. We won the Super Bowl. Uh, had our child. 2015, I just signed a new contract with the Patriots, uh, an extension to be there for three more years. And I, first injury I've ever had, I tore my bicep. Mm. So third game of the season, tore my bicep. I was out. Um, and I was actually excited about it for a couple reasons. One, um, season just gru- grueling and hard. And two, I could spend some time with my newborn uh, mm. son. He was three months old at that moment. And then 16, 17. Okay, so um, 16, 17, yeah. Well, I could I could rattle off all the like, sort of accomplishments that we had in 16 and 17. Sure. Um, yeah, we, we won a lot of football games, that's for sure. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. That's so funny. People are going to listen to this, Nate, and go, hold on a second, man. You played for the Patriots. You won yeah. Super Bowls. I've heard right. you now tell me, you guys, the night before Super Bowl, all these yeah. grown men are crying together. Yeah. I hear yeah. you saying that it's not the singular most important thing in all the world because that's the most anti-patriot way thing ever. It should be that's at the right. center and core of this. <laughs> I think people will tune into this and be like, this yeah. doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, I think that's right. And and actually, I try to convey that message to some of my teammates here at the Giants, and I don't think that they believe me, honestly. Um these guys, they spend so much time, money, energy on getting their bodies prepared, being ready to play in games, and these coaches devote so much time. They sacrifice their lives, their families, uh, to chase after uh, a trophy. Um, and uh, I think we all forget sometimes that if we win the trophy this year, someone's going to win it next year, and then the year after that, and it's going to be quickly forgotten. I mean, these things, you know, moth, and they rust and uh, it's destroyed, you know? So it's so it's so temporary. If your sole focus is just to win uh, games or to win a championship or win multiple championships, you know, um, you know, there's got to be something more, a driving force that that um, is bigger than all the circumstances. And and really, winning a championship is just a circumstance because I only control really one eleventh of the offense, if that, you know. And then my performance can be dictated by a number of factors. So what am I really in control of, anyhow? You know, mm-hmm. I just, I just. <laughs> You know, I go out there, I play my best, I do the best I can, I prepare during the week, I support my teammates and encourage them, and then uh, the Lord carries us through, you know, and, and not not saying that he wins us games, I'm saying that whatever happens is because the Lord dictated it to happen. And then he ultimately moves you out of New England. Yeah, 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 well, <clears throat> I was I was a little tired of being in New England, we'd kind of done things the same way, and I was just curious how they'd done it other places, and and uh, the Giants is an organization that I always looked on very fondly and with a ton of respect. Um, they beat us in that Super Bowl my rookie year. And I just always thought they'd gone about their business in a in a very upright, positive way. And, and so I wanted to be a part of a new organization, see how things were done in a different place. I actually kind of debated whether I wanted to continue playing or not. Um, I'd, I'd kind of gone back and forth. And uh, I said, I said with my wife, we sat down, and she was not pushing me one way or the other. But uh, we said, well, let's see who's willing to pay us the most money, and and that was our thought. Sure. So let's let's put the cards kind of in God's hands in a sense, because we won't just say, hey, we're going to go here or here. We're going to say, Who, whoever pays us the most money is who where God wants us to go. And 
And it wasn't about the money that it was, it was more about just doing and being obedient to God. And so, um, you know, he, we end up here and, uh, we're living in Hoboken, New Jersey, which is, could not be any more different than Buena Vista, Colorado, could, you know, could not be any different than Foxborough, Massachusetts. Yeah. And, and, uh, God just keeps challenging us and showing us that he's bigger than we could have ever thought or imagined. And then ultimately, uh, I believe it's a PAO. Is that the introduction in pro athletes outreach is the name of the ministry PAO and yeah. played a huge yeah. role in my life as well, uh, decades previously with friends, relationships I still have in my marriage, um, yeah. things that my, Molly, my wife, and I still talk about and lean into and think about those conferences yeah. and the wisdom and the teaching. Was it at PAO where you got introduced to Compassion International? Yeah, it was at PAO, and it was at the exact same time where I was kind of debating whether I wanted to keep playing or not. Okay, why do I want to keep playing? What's the purpose? What's the reason that I would keep playing? And so when I met Compassion International, I felt like I had a new sense of purpose. Um, it wasn't just about accumulating wealth. It was actually, um, you know, God's put me in this position where I could earn a lot of money, where it could be shared and spread and, and do a lot of good for, for the kingdom. Yeah, so talk to me about that relationship. Talk to me then ultimately of, of finding, did it, did it feel like, okay, this is a very clear directive and clear answer through, you know, that decision making? Uh, yeah, I'll be, I'll be totally honest with you. Um, when Compassion came to us, uh, we were excited. They looked wonderful, um, all exterior stuff. And, and we said, let's just give them a bunch of money. Let's see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what we did. I, I don't think that's the most responsible thing in the world. I, I, don't, I don't know. But I thought, you know, if I'm at the, the, the feet of Jesus and I'm like, you know what? I, I thought they were doing the, the work of, of your, your work. And I was like, let's just give them a bunch of money and see what happens. So we just wrote a huge check to them, more than we'd ever spent on anything in our lives. And, and uh, we say, you know what? This isn't about us. This is like, this is like um, almost like Monopoly money to us. It was like crazy. Yeah. Um, let's do it. And uh, the first experience I had when we went to Uganda totally, absolutely floored me. And um, there's a lot of complexities. Like you said, I'm a big question guy. And I had a lot of questions about this whole organization, the whole the mission of it. But basically, they're bringing people out of poverty. They're creating disciples. They're 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 creating lasting change with with relationships through the local church. And it is, I could not give more money. I could get, not give enough money to this organization because it, it suddenly, you know, like it gives me purpose, which is so minor to what it does. But it just bursts the bubble of of the world that we live in, and it's our self importance and and. The life that we everyone says, wow, it's all about us and it's all about what we what we have and what we achieve. And it's like, wow, you know what? It's about God. It's about his story. It's about what he's doing. And I just had to be obedient to that and listen to him. And he's doing far more than I could ever imagine. You got on the plane to go to Uganda and you thought, what? This is embarrassing, but I really think that we were going to save people. Um, we're going to teach them about Jesus. We're going to just make their lives so much better. We're going to, you know, do so much good. And we're, look how great we are. We're, we're, we're just wild adventurers, the two of us leaving our kids and going and saving the world. That was our thoughts. And, and, uh, looking back at it's so embarrassing because that's really what I believed, you know, <laughs> you know, and, and it could not be further from the truth. We got there and we were so humbled by how much deeper and richer their relationship with God was, how much uh, more they provided us and showed us than we could ever show them. Um, it was, it was, that was the amazing thing. It wasn't, it wasn't like, wow, look how much me and Lexi are doing. It was, wow, look how amazing God is across the world. And it just connects everyone together through their relationship. It was your house of cards. 
that just got just destroyed. That was the new house of cards. That's right. Yeah. Walk me through this. You land in Uganda and it's what? It was a small airport. You kind of walk out and, you know, I I, got to be sensitive how I say this, but there was a group of Muslim men standing right at the the gate and I was, Mm -hmm. I I was very intimidated. Um, You know, uh, you know, you'd heard stories about Christian missionaries being in foreign countries and being abducted and all this stuff. So I was a little intimidated. So we just kind of like kept quiet. I'm six, nine, trying not to stick out. (laughs) Right. And we, uh, you know, and we end up like uh, our our ride wasn't there soon enough. Like like in America, you think you sure. land and then they pick you up right away. Well, we st- we ended up sitting there for like maybe like forty minutes, thirty five, forty minutes, and yeah. so just kind of like passing and watching these people, and it was it was all really uncomfortable because um, they speak English, but the pace is different, and you're in a different place, and things look different, and uh, mm-hmm. I didn't know if we were safe. I didn't know, you know, I'm trying to protect my wife and everything. <laughs> you yeah. got these bags of 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 stuff which by the way we brought, brought way too much stuff thinking we had to like pack for like an exploration well you were saving really. the world in your <laughs> mind right <laughs> that's, that's right and then that's you right. ultimately yeah. get on site yeah and this was your yeah. first experience right you'd made yeah. the connection with compassion yeah. you like me have just felt this amazing and and they, they've yeah. sponsored this podcast the last three years yeah. everyone i met with them i just feel this amazing just love you yes. said earlier, just a genuine, like, I just want to be a part of this. I want That's to be right. a part of this team, right? These are teammates yeah. that I just am so thankful that I've gotten introduced to. Yes. So now your feet on the ground at um, in Uganda, and you go out to their facility, and you experience what? Yeah, the first day, um, we were right there in Kampala, the major city, and we they said, okay, you're going to go to the slums. Um I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know what a local church would look like in a place like Uganda. But we get to the local church, and there's kids running everywhere. I don't see a parent in sight. There's kids running everywhere. And it's a slab of concrete, essentially, with a roof over top. And they told me this is one of the more developed programs. This is They've been there for 10 years. Um, and so they were great at showing us everything that they'd been doing and what they've been up to. And really, we said, well, hey, we'd love to see some kids. We'd love to meet the the, um, the, the kids that are being sponsored. Um, and so they took us to one of the families and, uh, we're kind of walking through, um, the slums and once you smell it and and feel it and you get the dust and you get the the stench of all the the things that are going on in there, it's much different than just seeing a photograph. Um, and these are the places where these kids are spending every single day, you know, some of them in school, some not, some, some not able to eat on a day-to-day basis, um, some with a lot of a lot of them with disease, and uh, we just kind of walked our way through here, not knowing if we were safe or not, not knowing what could possibly happen, and we, we that we were welcomed into um, one mother's home, uh, one of the sponsors' homes, and um, sponsored kids' homes, and uh, it was about I don't know eight by ten um, mud hut, and it had a, a corrugated steel roof on it. And it was not a hot day, but it was hot as the dickens inside of this little place. And uh, we sat down with her, and we're just asking about what it is that she does on a day-to-day basis. And and I remember one thing she said was, she said, uh, I don't choose where I was born, just like you don't choose where you were born. Um, but we're supposed to share. And so one thing I was, not just her, but everyone in Uganda was so generous with their time, with, with everything, their materials, with... With everybody, it was just a, it was a very generous uh, country and culture. And uh, I said, you know, I said, what is your hope? And she said, uh, she said, you know, I just like to own my own home, have some property, have my kids be healthy. And it occurred to me, 
you know, in my, in my own, it, it's, it, it shows you how much um, privilege I have just that I even say this, but that she had the same kind of thoughts, feelings, cares, um, fears that, that we do here. You know, she had a picture of her son. He was in like fourth grade. It was like picture day and you could see he was all dressed up and his hair was done and, it, and it was sitting on her on our on our mud wall, and it was like that looks just like the pictures that we take here in the United States. You know, um, sometimes uh, I, you know we and and especially you know myself, I just dehumanize the whole situation because it's just easier not to think that these are uh, people just like us, um, and uh, that just made it so real to me. And uh, it was a short time we were there. We were there for a week, and we felt like we'd made wonderful relationships. But it was the people of Compassion that were really doing the work. It was the people that are there day in, day out, mm-hmm. the people that are really fighting those battles and, and fighting for those people in their lives. Uh, we're just kind of fans. you know. I, I, I feel that way very strongly mm-hmm. now. We're not saving anybody. We're just fans of the people doing the real work. Mm-hmm. So if we can support them with material things and, and finances and, and uh that they're the ones that are given the time in their lives to doing the real work. And I remember talking to Lexi while we were together in Guatemala. We'll get to that in a, in a minute here and lastly. But I remember Lexi saying that that week broke you, that you came home, yeah. and it was hard for you to come home and engage and yeah. function. Yeah, yeah, it, it's true. Um, so, like, for one example, we have these little bars that our kids eat. Um, and uh, a lot of times they'll take one or two bites of them. And like kids, they just toss them, they throw them on the ground. And, and I was so frustrated. I said, enough with the bars. We're not doing the bars. They're like, they're like $3 a piece. And I'm like, this is expensive. We're wasting these, <laughs> this food. Yeah. And so I was like, no more bars. Like the kids aren't allowed to have bars. Like, <laughs> you know, it's hard to balance like how, how much we have materially yeah. and, and how little they have and, and how, you know, why, you know, why is it that we're putting in a place where we have too much? And, and it scares me quite honestly that, that uh, even from the way I grew up, the way that my kids grow up, and mm-hmm. and you have to put, you had to create limits for them rather than there being actual natural limits on a lot of things. You know, like like the number of bars that they could eat. You know, mm-hmm. it's like we could buy bars until they're, you know, the, the house was full of bars, and it would, yeah. you know, there's no limit to that. And that so, it was just trying to figure out what is the balance. Like, how am I supposed to live? Do I am I supposed to live on the street and save every single penny so they can go to these other people? You know, where is that line? Um, and I don't think I've perfected that yet. But I know that my 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 thoughts on money and spending money has certainly changed. And then ultimately a trip to Guatemala. So it's uh, to yeah. Uganda early in the year and it's to Guatemala for a second trip yeah. with compassion. Why? Yeah. Well, we want to make it something that's like a sustainable idea. I don't think it's a, st- a sustainable idea for just me and Lexi to travel all over the world and kind of see these places because they're vision trips. The only the, one of the main points of going there is to see it and to, and to experience it. And uh, and once you've done it, you know what what other role do you serve by being there? Um, mm-hmm. So I think this trip to Guatemala was to bring others with us, mm-hmm. um, and so that's our really our hope, you know and. Uh, I, I felt like a, a total complete failure because I invited about a thousand people and, and I got uh, two guys to show up and then one guy dropped out the last minute. So, you know, how, how your powerful of cards. Yeah. Your of cards. Right. This isn't about you. When, when are you going to learn that? It's about me. Bro. I mean, he's just yeah. trying to show you time and again. Know. You know, what's amazing, Nate, is the blessing with every one of these podcasts yeah. is I have no idea where they're going to go. Yeah. Right. And and, yeah. and some I've done 
with with folks I've had a lot of relationship with. Some I've done with folks that have walked into the studio and I've spent five minutes. You know, we had an yeah. amazing week together and it was awesome. But every seemingly every single one of these podcasts, the Lord says, nope, this is going to be the lesson for you listening to this on the other end. Here's yeah. your lesson. If yeah. you want to build your own house of cards, right, yeah. just watch and you really want to follow the Lord with all your heart, watch him just blow those cards on down. That's right. Because yeah. you thought that this was going to be your trip to bring how many? <laughs> how many? Yeah, right. Oh, yeah. We could have had 50 guys. It would have been awesome. And, and you know, I'm going to tweet out one tweet, and it's going to blow up, and we're going to raise all this money, and yeah. it's going to be huge, and none of that happened. But ultimately, the Lord said what? Um, he's bigger than all <laughs> than, yes. than me. You know, he was up to something. He was up to – He's uh, he is constantly up to something. Um and uh, we try to put our finger on it, but a lot of times it's uh, better than we could have ever thought mm. of ourselves. Mm. And um, and I, 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 Compassion is an organization just like that because um, I came home like a lot of people are really fired up. I'm going to do all this great work for Compassion. And they kind of look at you, you know, okay, we've heard that before because they are already doing such wonderful things. And, and they're in all these places. The, the, number, the number of people I could tell you that have just dedicated their lives to to development and, and change in the countries that they're in is, is uh, countless. You know, Nate, what stood out to me, and, and I'm curious if there were these lasting images and pictures or how often you go back and look at those and I have them on my phone and I'll just smile and I'll think back to the, to the families we met and the homes we got into. But, you know, one of the, like, the lasting memories, I was just sharing this with my men's group last week. One of my most lasting telling pictures of that trip was one of our last spots, one of the last projects we went to. And in, it was the same in Guatemala as I'm sure Uganda. The generosity of these people. We are the ones that are so poor because the generosity of their spirit and what they want to give to you. Yeah. And sitting at the project after lunch and watching the, some of the workers there at that project in Guatemala simply wash the dishes for yeah. all of the kids, for their guests, and to think of how many thousands of hours right. some of these women have done that, have just poured their life and their ministry and their witness and everything into loving that community and loving the people and loving the kids and loving the moms and loving the, the people there by just serving. And, and, and I was watching them just, there's no dishwasher, right? Right. There's no, all it, by hand. Yeah. it was all by hand and it wasn't for a minute. I mean, it was for an hour after right. lunch that they right. are there just serving. Yeah. I can't get the, that vivid picture out of my head. Yeah. Well, and guess what? We saw it for that hour, but they're doing that every single day, you know, and in, uh, in tough circumstances every single day. And I get I get bored because I have to do meetings on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Could you imagine every single seven days a week you're doing that, just dedicating your lives to, to making people's lives better with joy, a lot of joy. You know, um, I had that same impression. Um, they asked us, they said, uh, they said, just hand out a couple plates of food to some of the the, the, the mothers. And uh, so we started handing out food. And like, no, 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 sit down. So they, they, they all, the people at the place started handing us the food. And I said, how did this get turned on its head? You know, we were supposed to come here and serve. But, but um, you know, 
Chris High made a great point. He said, he said, in relationship and in, in true life is when you're sharing. You, they're giving and you're giving. You're taking and they're taking. So it's working together, and that's what God wants from us. It's not, it's not us coming in because we have all the goods and all the, the know-how, and we're just going to serve and give to them. No, it's working back and forth. You know, and that's where the beauty of the whole situation. And that's your pastor in Hoboken who made the trip with us, and just yeah, an amazing right. teacher as well. Hey, lastly, a, a couple things here just to, to wrap this up. Um, sharing and, and to bring that full circle. You feel like now you're in a place athletically in your career, year nine in the NFL, you're with the New York Giants now. Do you feel like you're in a place in your career where you're just really sharing your gifts that God's given you for his kingdom when you play? I'm sharing, you know, I feel like he's put me here for a reason. Um, I only know a fraction of what that reason is, but he certainly made me big, tall, fast, and strong. And so I just get to show off for him. It's not about me anymore. It's it's showing off what he's done, and and uh, that happens in a lot of different ways. You know, um, we were talking to a friend, and I said, you know, sometimes I feel guilty because I leave early, but that's my opportunity to see my family and my kids. And their their advice to me was, you know, maybe that's the leadership that you're showing to your locker room is is keeping a balance of of how it's supposed to be. So. It's not just playing football, but there's a lot of different ways that, that God's given me gifts or things that he's shown me and instructed me in that, that I'd live out in my life that I just hope that people know Jesus more because of that. How do you balance you know, not building your house of cards with yet also having just a passion and a vision for what the Lord does have for you, both on and off the field? Yeah, well, I, I I've come to this point where I just think that I'm gonna probably build another house of cards at some point. <laughs> you, know? Um, you know, as we all do. I mean, what else yeah. do we have to go with? Is what the what the best that we can can at the moment. So, I trust in I, I read the Bible every night. Um, I trust in the fact that I I have great mentors and great people in my life that I can ask questions of and they can show me things. Um, and I trust in the Lord every single day, you know. Um, I, it doesn't look like the way that I wanted it to look. It doesn't come out the way that I thought it was going to, but it's better because he's in control. Those young athletes who are tuning into this, right, because it's a faith and sports podcast, or or those parents that have young athletes, or those coaches that I know that listen to this, right, that yeah. they want to try to inspire and empower and equip their young athletes and and, and, and those folks in ministry that, that want to hear a professional athlete, right, willing to put his faith out there. How would you encourage them? Yeah. What's on your heart this day in this part of your your ministry and in your testimony to most yeah. encourage those listening to this? Yeah, well, that's to do with what to do as best you can with whatever you've given, as for the Lord and not for man. Because if you're obedient, if you do the best that you can with whatever simple task is given to you. The God, then God uses that. And you can't predict, you know, because I work so hard in the weight room, I'm now going to be a great football player. Well, maybe not. But if you work as hard as you can to be in the weight room, the work, you work as hard as you can to be film study, to understand the playbook, all these simple tasks that he's given you, somehow he's intertwining all those things to, to do his, his work. And, and so it's not only about, you know, um, spiritual things. It's about the simple task that he gives you on a day-to-day basis to do the best that you can with, with everything as for the Lord and not for man. And lastly, what's your vision for Compassion? A group that you just said, you know what? We got all this funny money, and I'm just going to write a check, and we'll see what they do with it. (laughs) What's your vision now for a group that you spend a lot of time with, that I know you have a heart for? What's next? Well, I'm so thankful that they put me in, in that they're in my life. Um, They give us an opportunity to give back. They give us an opportunity to show other people ways to give back. So a lot of people that I run into that have a lot of money that are that are that are wondering what we should do, 
I make that introduction because I don't have all the answers, but but compassion has some of the answers because they're connected with some of these people. And, um, you know, there's a lot of controversy in our country right now about uh, race relations and, and all these sort of things. And, and I can't speak on all those things, but I can point them to people that can. And so I try to make those connections. I, I just try to be a conduit for other people to, to, to find hope and joy in these same things. Above and Beyond, the intersection of faith and sports. Subscribe to receive every episode at aboveandbeyondpodcast.com.